The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Guardian Australia's Adelaide Festival podcast. I'm Vicky Frost and later you'll be hearing from Christos Choikas discussing the influence of drugs on the writing process after a conversation at Writers Week and we'll also have a wrap of the latest from The Fringe with Guardian Australia's Jane Howard. He's a wonderful man. He's a genius. I love Chris Tolkis. It's good to see someone from a migrant background come out and he's considering himself a mainstream writer, which is very interesting. Oh, they just they just open your minds, they open your heart, they make you appreciate the amazing work that authors do in creating their work. I just love them. Yeah. Right now, we're at the Art Gallery of South Australia. This is the venue for Dark Heart, the 2014 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art. Uh, we've been live blogging from here all day, um, and if you go to the website, you can see some really interesting video we've been making down here. I'm joined now by the man who put this all together, Artistic Director of the Adelaide Festival, David Sefton. Hello, David. Afternoon. And of course, welcome to Guardian Australia's culture team. Hello, Alex Needham. Hello. And also, Alfred Hickling. Good day. Uh, We'll be discussing some of the shows you saw last night. Um, But first, we're going to talk about our festival moments. We're deep into the festival now. So, David, tell us about some of your favourite moments so far. I mean, Roman Tragedies, obviously, was this. It's one of those shows where you're saying to people, come and spend six hours watching Shakespeare in Dutch without an interval. Just trust me. And what's been hilarious is the number of people who've come up to, one of them just ten minutes ago, who said... I'm really glad I did trust you on that one. I'm thinking of having a badge printed just with trust me written on it. So, Alfred, you did trust David on that. How did you find it? Um, remarkable, because I was also suffering from 12-hour jet lag. So, um, at, at that point, um, even staying awake for another six hours was, was quite a feat. But it kept me awake for another six hours, so it must have been good. And have you got a festival moment today? Alfred has been here longer than we have, I should say. Uh, so, he has more thoughts than we River Fundament is an experience. It's a six-hour experience that requires you to submit to it for six hours if you're actually going to take away from it uh, what the artist has actually put in. So as a feat of endurance, it's quite something, but in fact, it's also peculiarly rewarding. Uh, David, one of, was that one of your moments as well? Yeah, I mean, it was completely extraordinary. Originally, the Matthew Barney piece, in terms of its scheduling, was supposed to be in next year. It's not, it's not that I deliberately put two six-hour shows in the same weekend. Well, uh, I did wonder about that, sort but, of an odd uh, theme. But, but <laughs> one hand, it is, it's definitely not a theme. One of the um, great things about the audience, audience in Adelaide is that they love the epic, and, and they've had, you know, Adelaide Festival co-commissioned Peter Brook's Mahabharata, they had Rebella Park just seven streams of the River Ota, eight hours, I think, that one. I think Mabarata was 12. Uh, it was the first ring cycle done in Australia, was done in the Adelaide. So th- there's, there is this long tradition of them embracing the epic, and we've definitely gone for it with them this year. Uh, Alex, you uh, have arrived more recently. We've only been in Adelaide for the last few days. Have you had a festival moment to date? I have, just speaking of the long thing, I'm going to an eight and a half hour um, tectonics on um, on Monday, which is the... Which David, is the with all the sunshine music collaboration. as well. You're like determined to lock people indoors for long periods yes, of time. I am. That's, ex- that's absolutely right. They're going to spend a long time experiencing their art. Um, and we should talk about, I suppose, what makes a festival moment, because there is something quite particular, I think, about a festival moment as opposed to sort of just a general sort of art moment. What do you think about that, David? I think it it fascinates me that um, 
the people are prepared to put up with so much more in the name of a festival <laughs> that you just couldn't get away with in the normal run of play. And I think that really kind of defines the festival experience, that audiences will stay with you for six hours when you couldn't do that on a school night. And if you did it in another time of the year, then people would just go, really? But because it because of the the nature of, and it is that, you know, it's the, it's the actual definition, that tradition of stepping out. I means an audience will do stuff that they don't normally, would never in a million years dream of doing on a normal day. And if people are looking to do like one thing they wouldn't normally do for the rest of the festival. Well, I mean, we've got John Zorn and I mean, mm. he said he really just wanted it done properly. And so we're doing it properly over four nights and we're with, with, 30 people, John Zorn being the uh, um, leading light of the New York avant-garde music world or jazz world, but now so much more than just a jazz musician. And, and over the course of those nights, I mean, what is great is you'll have the singer from Faith No More and the drummer from Slayer, a bunch of some of the most prominent jazz musicians on the planet, half of Tom Waits's band, most of Elvis Costello's band, all these extraordinary musicians all coming out for these four nights just because of John. His Save the Date email is the best distribution list I've ever seen in an email in my life. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's definitely, and that, you know, I, I, I hate to return to the fact the first night is five and a half hours long. I'm really sorry about this. But, you know, by the hour, we're the best value ticket in Australia. <laughs> Maybe that's the tagline for next year's poster. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, David. Have Pleasure. a great rest of the festival. I will. Stay listening. We're going to be talking about some of the festival shows we've been seeing and also uh, some of our fringe favourites. But first, we're going to go to Writers' Week. Christos Choikas, the Australian author best known for his novels The Slap and most recently Barracuda, had a very frank discussion with the Indian writer Jeet Thale about the role of drugs in both writers' work at the festival. Now, of course, we wanted to speak to Christos after the event, but we found we had a little bit of competition at the book signing stand. Oh, you can write Emma if you want, otherwise... It's up to you, it's your yes, book. Yes, it's yeah. me, it's my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's your, it's your book, really. <laughs> Christos, just a favour. I've read your stuff. I was wondering if you would read mine. It's only 20 pages double space. Of course I would. So you probably read it on the low or something, and... Thank you. This one, could you just write happy birthday? Oh. <laughs> Still working out there. Still working out who's going to get that one. I'm joined now by Christos Cholkas. Hello, Christos. Hello. Uh, we've been at the Writers' Festival this afternoon where you've been in conversation with uh, Jeet Thayil um, and you've, uh, it's been a slightly surreal experience, to be honest, to hear the two of you uh, talking about the discussion, discussing basically writing about amphetamines and opium use and for, for an audience that's quite proper and quite genteel was sitting in manicured gardens. We were talking about the drug experience and having, you know, I, I had, I said to Jade, I'd experimented with heroin, but I never had an addiction to really, no, never really had an addiction to, to heroin, but I had an addiction to amphetamines for a long time. And I think uh, you said it much more poetically. It's it's in your chemicals, the, those addictions. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking it's quite speedy. <laughs> I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna. 
I know why he shouts, why he chants, and over and over and over. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I know all about that. You repeat, you repeat, you repeat to block out the shame, to block out the voice screaming at you. What a mess, what a monster, what a no hoper, what a disgrace, what an idiot, what a fuck up, what an animal, what a douchebag, what a freak, what a loser, 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 loser. The voice that won't stop, can't stop, that mocks and taunts and jeers and fills your head till you just repeat the words over and over and over to make the music, to make them rhythm, to make them just sound. I'm actually going to stop there. Just I wanted to give a, a, yeah, just a voice. You know what happens is uh, one of the uh, rich experiences of a festival like that is meeting someone who is maybe like-minded or you, his work you respect, and you begin a conversation about the writing. And it was um, it was reading Narcopolis uh, Jeet's book that made me think about that relationship of addiction um, uh, to a writing process. Um, that trace of that drug, whichever it might be, of that world, remains. I think also it was interesting, you, were, you sort of went from that and you were talking about this idea of the Australian novel and kind of, you know, writing, not always looking to write, you're not going to write the next American novel, oh, yeah. the next British novel, you know, you need to write the next Australian novel. That was really interesting and I thought said something important about Australian literature. Yeah, look, I think it was the, um, it, it came from that question the, the chair Amy had asked about you know, someone, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but that, you know, in a way the slap was written from, you know, it almost seemed like it was someone outside looking on in Australia. And I, it's just, uh, you know, I, I should, you know, thoughts come later. And in a way, I actually think that maybe what it was is that the novel is, is the slap is a novel that is written by claiming Melbourne, Australia as the centre, <laughs> which is something that we're very used to in the... English novel or the American novel, but maybe we we are not used to or are only becoming used to now with the Australian novel. And I think that there's there's I mean that's a that's a, such a huge conversation. Um, uh, the other thing I didn't talk about was there's also the element of I think we're we're used to an Australian novel of land and uh, in a historical context, but we are so fearful of. Uh, almost cringe. The cultural cringe now is about our suburban landscapes. Oh, that's uh, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's another element of it as well. That, uh, the only way I'm going to answer for myself the question of where I belong is by writing in this way. And I thought as well, sort of maybe that sort of feeds into that like, you write about class a lot. But, you know, for a, a lot of outsiders, I think, don't think of Australia and think of class. They think of it as a fairly classless place. And then having lived here, I realise that's not the yeah, case at yes. all, you know. It is, because uh, I was in the UK... Uh, in January, um, talking about Barracuda, and that question came yeah, from the floor. People came, kept saying, "Oh, um, you know, the image we have of your country is that it's classless." You know, and I think it's part of the, the kind of uh, a fantasy of the new world in quotation uh, marks. You know, but of course it's not. You know, because of this very foundation, both as uh, in terms of dispossession from uh, the indigenous um, countries, but also in terms of its convict legacy. You know, so how could, you know, there's always a, a myth we do tell ourselves, you know, Australia is an egalitarian country. I could talk to you about this all day. It's absolutely <laughs> fascinating, Christos. Uh, but I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it for the podcast. We'll have to continue. I don't have to go and have a drink. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Christos Choikis, Australian novelist. Alex, Alfred, time to talk about what you've been out seeing. Um, 
Alfred, let's start with you. You've been seeing something that's here, actually, at the Art Gallery of South Australia, I think. Um, I have the, the Dark Art exhibition, which is the um, biennial of Australian art. But um, I've also been over to Tandanya, which is the Aboriginal centre here in Adelaide. It's been open for 25 years, but it's apparently never, ever shown contemporary art. And that's changed this year with an exhibition called Four Rooms, and the contents of the exhibition is Four Rooms. The, the one room that really um, blew me away, the one, the one room that I sat in for the longest, um, was the one with the most comfortable sofa and also a television set, which was portraying a remake of some of the um, yes-no interviews that Andy Warhol made in the 1960s. In the 1960s, Anthony Warhol, who was never the most articulate um, interviewee, um, made a series of videos in which he was asked questions, and he would answer... Andy, do you feel that the public has insulted your art? Uh, no. Why not? Uh, well, I hadn't thought about it. It doesn't bother you at all, then? Uh, no. And that was his response to every single question that was put to him. Um, and an artist called Vernon Arkey, who is um, um, based in Brisbane... Yes, and actually, uh, if you go to God in Australia, uh, you can find some video we did yeah. with him in Brisbane talking about some of his work. Um, in the video, um, Vernon Arkey dresses up as Andy Warhol with, with shades and a blank expression, and he answers questions on Aboriginal art using the same three stock responses. So you hear the uh, interviewer saying to him things along the lines of, is it an act of reconciliation to purchase Aboriginal art? Uh, no. Are you sure about that? Uh, yes. So the commercialisation of Aboriginal art has been a good thing. I haven't thought about it. And the whole thing spools on like this and becomes in, you know, increasingly more significant in its sort of deadpan evasion of the topic of conversation as it goes along. The other thing that's quite beyond belief in that room is that he's also recreated Andy Warhol's Brillo boxes, so the, the boxes that look exactly like soap powder. Um, he takes a contemporary soap powder from Australia from the 1940s, which is called Nula Nula, um, which um, had a picture on the front of an Aboriginal woman wearing a breastplate, and on the breastplate it said dirt, and the picture showed her being hit with a couple of wooden spoons, and it says Nula Nula knocks dirt on the head. Well, that, it sort of leaves you speechless a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. So Four Rooms runs till, for the whole of the festival now, doesn't it? Festival, runs till, yeah. I think, yeah. even till the end of the month, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, do go and see it. Thank you so much for that, Alfred. Um, Alex, what have you been seeing? Um, I went to see John Waters last night do his uh, This Filthy World Volume 2 talk. And obviously he's, um, he's a kind of a, still a legendary um, underground filmmaker, but obviously he's, he's also you know pretty famous and has been for the last couple of decades really he, I mean, he sounds like he'd be a hoot really i saw him very briefly at the writers festival yeah he was yesterday. very yeah he was very good fun it was it was a sort of loosely autobiographical talk so it went from him at school in baltimore with um, divine who he grew up with and who became the kind of star of his films and sort of went through his career all the the films that kind of outraged people at the time like Fli pink flamingos and uh, female trouble and then um, and obviously kind of in the 
later 80s he did Hairspray which although that was Divine's last film Divine died just after it was made obviously it had this incredible second life as a stage musical which I was looking up today and it, it ran for seven years on Broadway and got like eight Tony Awards or something wow. so it, you couldn't really get more mainstream yeah, yeah. And, um, but in a way he's still he's still sort of an, outsi- an outsider and he's still very kind of um, preoccupied in a, in a very kind of funny way with all the kind of strange subcultures that people feel compelled to um, create for themselves, particularly sexual ones, sploshing, he talks about, which is <laughs> people who get off on being covered in, like, baked beans and custard. <laughs> and then the, Isn't that everyone? And there was, <laughs> but, I mean, he's kind of... But the audience were kind of in stitches for the, for the entire thing. And, um, and, yeah, he's just very kind of engaging, warm, sort of subversive... And, you know, still kind of, in a way, kind of waving, waving his, his freak flag, as the Americans might say. Yeah, he's, I, I loved him at the Writers' Festival. I think he sort of said something like, you know, how do you be an anarchist when... Uh, how can one be an anarchist when you own three houses? Yeah. And I sort of loved that kind of self-awareness, but kind of real spirit about him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was saying that the, re- the remake of Hairspray, which he wasn't involved in, but the, basically they remade the musical, and he was kind of delighted that it's the sort of fourth most... It's the fourth biggest Hollywood musical, apparently. I suppose it's just, uh, you know, by, by kind of following his own incredibly singular sort of artistic compulsion, you know, weirdly, the rest of the world has come round to him. So it's, a, it's, it's got a real... The whole thing's got a real happy ending, I think. Um, I'm not quite sure whether um, the night out that followed had such a happy ending for Alex, because <laughs> then Alex, <laughs> after seeing John Waters, uh, Alex then came and joined me to see East End Cabaret um, at Fringe. Um, it was the first time I'd been to Fringe in Adelaide, and it's sort of huge and amazing and sort of delightful. I, I mean, I don't know what the work's like, but, you know, I don't know what all the work's going to be like, but I think just the actual sort of grounds of it are really fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, it's a great setting. It's like a big sort of circus ground. And, uh, yeah, everybody's there having a great time. So we went to see um, East End Cabaret, uh, which is um, a British act. You know, you basically can't do cabaret now without putting on a corset and doing a saucy wink, can you? So yeah, There's plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was plenty of that. And I sort of rolled my eyes to begin with. I thought, oh, God, what is this going to be? But actually, it was utterly hilarious. I mean... To be for me, no point was more hilarious than when one of the performers came into the audience and um, forcibly licked Alex's face um, in a in a sort of a quite aggressive manner. Yeah, I could kind of see that was that was coming. I mean, we we did sit, didn't we, where we thought we'd be inaccessible in case there was any audience we, participation. We totally planned to but, be out of all audience participation. I know, but I'm like a magnet for that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually it's a great show. The audience participation can be a bit scary, or it should be a bit scary, and all the ballistic things should feel a bit old. But actually, neither of those things are true because it's really sharp, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, all all the songs are about sex in one way or another, but um, but it's not. It's not cringy even when they're licking your face. It is, it is funny. Not cringy even when they're licking your face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we like to provide all the best lines. Uh, see you again soon. Have a great festival in the meantime. See you later. So from face licking to the rest of the Fringe Festival, here's our critic Jane Howard who's going to be looking after the Fringe for us. The Adelaide Fringe. The Fringe. Oh, the Adelaide Fringe. The Adelaide Fringe. The Fringe. With Jane Howard. 
I spent last night at the Royal Croquet Club, which is a new venue for Adelaide Fringe this year. And there is actually a croquet pit in the middle of the croquet club where there are these lovely old ladies from Croquet SA teaching people how to play croquet. Unfortunately, I didn't get to beat my friend because I had to run off to see a show. So the first show I saw was called Turning in Time from A4 Circus Ensemble, which are some very young performers, which are graduates of the Flying Fruit Fly Circus. I really liked the idea of what they were trying to do here. They were talking about the difference between contemporary circus and classical circus, because with trapeze and clowns and horses and tigers, and they had a voiceover from a woman called Dolly Lennon, who was an Australian circus performer who started in the 30s in the Depression, and she was talking about what it was like to be a circus performer touring at that time. But it kind of fell down because they didn't connect that through to the performance. The performance was neither trying to emulate what that performance era was, nor was it rebelling against it and being completely contemporary and modern. There were some lovely moments, but then still they really struggled to feel such a big circus environment. So ultimately it just didn't feel like it came together into a whole show. After that, I went to see a simple space, which is by a local Adelaide company called Gravity and Other Myths. It's an acrobatic circus. There are five men, two women, and they've got a drummer. And it's really all there in the title. It's called A Simple Space, and it's really incredible what they do with such a simple space. The drummer is on an electronic kit. He runs all the music. The performers themselves run all the lights. There's a real fun sense of energy to the performance, which is all based around competition. It starts with the performers on stage in a speed skipping competition. The person who can skip the longest gets to keep their clothing on, but everyone else has to take a piece off until you're left with someone with no clothing on and they have to do 10 slow skips. You don't see much, you see the, someone's back, but it's quite good fun. And that continues through the whole show. It's all competition. And there's this real sense of pushing them themselves to the limit. They're trying to fail. These guys are just pushing themselves. They can't push anymore. It was a really fun show. It was incredibly smart. The audience lapped it up and it was a really beautiful way to end the night at the Royal Croquet Club. Both of these shows run until Monday the 10th of March. That was Guardian Australia's Jane Howard. And that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for our podcast, Straight Out of Woe Madelaide, where we'll have some very exciting guests and you'll hear the very best of world music. I'm Vicky Frost. For more on Adelaide Festival, in text, in video, audio and in pictures, go to theguardian.com slash au.